Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, guys. We're here with the Hollywood Life Podcast. And we have a super special guest today that I I had a fabulous interview with. And um, unfortunately, my co-anchor, Allie, wasn't available. Hey, she has to take vacation sometimes. <laughs> wasn't available to join. But she is going to help me introduce and be listening to the interview, too. So, hey, Allie, how you doing? Good, Bonnie. It's good to be back. And I'm very excited to listen to this interview myself. um, Your guest seems like an incredibly influential and incredible woman that we should all be listening to right now. Um, So with that said, Bonnie, take it away and introduce your guest and everybody enjoy listening. I will. And yes, um, the, uh, the guest today is a role model for us and she's so inspirational and she has played uh, a huge role in the political world and um, I'm going to tell you a little more about her after I introduce her so first let's all welcome Liz Smith hey Liz welcome to our Hollywood Life podcast now Liz has is a political strategist and she has been a senior advisor and a campaign manager to a lot of Democratic candidates and has worked her way up from the bottom since she was in university to the top. And she has a brand new book, which is out now, which I cannot put down. It is so fascinating. And it is called Any Given Tuesday, A Political Love Story. And we're going to talk about this in the show, but she is the person who like worked so hard to make an undiscovered Pete Buttigieg, who was Mayor Pete of South Bend, Indiana, into a huge contender in the presidential race. And he is now a cabinet minister. And we're going to talk about that and all kinds of other things. So welcome, Liz. So listen, congratulations on the book. It's, Thank you. And yeah. It, it's really a great read. I've, I'm about two thirds of the way through. I couldn't put it down all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you've got like, you've had a fascinating career and life and, uh, but it's just the way you, you know, you wrote it. It's just really engaging. Tell me, like, why did why did you decide to write the book? I decided to write the book because, you know, I think back to when I was an 18-year-old girl and I started to get interested in politics and wanted to volunteer for a campaign. There was no real guidebook or handbook for how to get involved. There was no guidebook for what it was like for someone behind the scenes. The closest I really had to that was um, the famous political documentary, The War Room, which I recommend everyone who's interested in sort of how politics works to watch, because it really gets into the nitty gritty of behind the scenes of politics. But there really are no women in the war room. The only one woman that you see is Jennifer Flowers. Um, Otherwise, it's just all male strategists. So I thought it would be interesting and needed for a woman to write what it's really like behind the scenes of politics. One, how you get involved, what the lifestyle's like, the toll that it can take on your personal life, some of the hurdles that you have to face in a male-dominated industry. 
but also the highs and lows of it. And there are some very high highs in my book and some very low lows. But my goal is to sort of demystify the world of politics for people. And I wanted to write this book in a way that was accessible and could be read by Democrats, Republicans, and people who are apolitical alike. Well, um, you bring up that there were no women, like there are no women in the war room, and historically, campaigns have been run by men. Now, mm-hmm. has has that changed? I mean, Jen O'Malley was leading Biden's campaign. And I thought it was interesting because you'd like see her kids sometimes, like when she'd be doing Zoom, right, right. Zoom calls or she'd be on the news, the kids would come in. And then, of course, there was Kellyanne Conway leading Trump's. Yes. So I would say that in the last few presidential cycles, um, it has changed. Kellyanne Conway, obviously for Trump, last cycle in for the Democrats, I was a senior advisor to Pete. You had Jen O'Malley Dillon taking over as campaign manager for Biden. And that's amazing. But you still see the majority of campaign workers and the majority of the senior staff on campaigns, you know, being men. So I think it's really, really important, especially when women's issues are on the ballot, when abortion rights are on the ballot, to have um, more women candidates, but also more young women behind the scenes, because we understand these issues on a much more visceral level than a male staffer ever can. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, I think it's really important. Um, But as you just to go back to when you started, there was no guidebook, and you were really interested in politics, and you started volunteering, like, did you find that as a young woman, and then as a more grown woman, was it any harder for you? Was it different for you in working your way up the ranks and getting and getting top jobs? Well, one, I worked really, really hard. And I think one thing I hope comes through in this book is that politics is a business where you really have to grind and be willing to make some serious sacrifices to succeed. And I talk about my lifestyle of moving state to state to state. Um, And sometimes just living in an apartment with a mattress on the ground. but there were there were struggles sometimes to be taken seriously, I would say. Um, you know, walking into a room of mostly older white men who would call me kiddo or comment on my outfit or ask about my dating life and put more emphasis on those things right. than on the things I had to say. Now it's different. You can't really get away with those types of things, but you'd be surprised. Um, Even when I was a senior staffer on campaigns, after I'd worked my my way up, I was still subject to some of that sort of treatment. And I still do see women being subjected to some of that treatment, but it's less often than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And in terms of that grind, because yeah, I would, you know, really struck me reading your book that you would have to pick up and move across the country, like move to Ohio to work, (laughs) like move to not glamorous places. (laughs) Right. You You work on campaigns and somehow find your way around these new cities. Like what, uh, what is that like? Or, I mean, I'm sure that is an impediment for a lot of women. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in college, I took time off. And then after college, I went and I, I worked in, as you mentioned, I worked in South Dakota, I worked in Missouri, I worked in Kentucky, I worked in Ohio. And of course, all my friends from where I went to college, Dartmouth, were all living in New York. They were like investment bankers or lawyers or working at real estate firms and going to all the hot clubs. And meanwhile, you know, it's just sort of me sitting alone on the floor of my empty apartment, um, you know, drinking cheap wine out of a plastic cup. Um, But why I did it was obviously not for the glamour, but because I understood it's really important and politics every touches every part of our lives, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. Um, and that 
for me to rise up the ranks of politics. It's not like I could just wake up one morning and walk into an office and be Pete Buttigieg's senior advisor. That's just not how it works. That to get to where I ended up um, as a rare woman in the upper echelons of American politics, that I had to be willing to make those sacrifices, that I had to be willing to go everywhere. And so it was all worth it, but it does take a toll on your personal life. And it it does mean that you're going to miss a lot of fun parties. You're probably going to miss a lot of friends' weddings and um, not have the most glamorous lifestyle. But if you are passionate about it, it's all worth it. And it will pay off in the long run um, because you do get to work your way up the ladder. And one day, you know, I got to go from being a field organizer, knocking on doors in South Dakota, getting mauled by a German shepherd to being the person leading debate prep for the guy who won the Iowa caucuses. Yeah. I mean, you know, you were preparing, you not just prepared, but you were masterminding um, the campaign, the presidential campaign for Pete Buttigieg. And as you talk about in the book, I mean, he was nobody like, right. No no one knew this guy. Right. But, and, and you broke a lot of rules doing that campaign. Mm Mm-hmm which I thought was, you know, great and interesting. I want to come back to that. Um, just following up though on you, you it's a grind. There's a lot of unglamorous things you got to do, but it is the way that you learn and you have to work your way up by working on campaigns that are less glamorous around the country. But, and you said it took, takes a toll on your personal life, but can you end up having a personal life? Could you, I mean, a lot of women, you know, they're worried, am I going to be able to have, get married, have a family and do this kind of work? Yeah, you absolutely can. And, you know, there's that age old debate. Can women have it all? Yeah. Um, well, I think you've sort of proven that they can. <laughs> um, you didn't have to travel, though, like you had to travel. True. So you can. And but I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat and say it's the easiest thing in the world. Um And it's really, really tough because still the majority of candidates that are out there are male and it's very tough for boyfriends, even as secure as they are, to always play second fiddle to someone else, to another Mm -hmm. man. And so people like me, women can get married and can have kids. Um, You just have to find someone who is willing, you know, male, female to sometimes plays second fiddle to the candidate that you're working for someone who is very secure in themselves and someone who understands that you might not be there at the dinner table every night. You might not be able to pick up every phone call. You might not be able to pick up the kids at school, but Jen O'Malley Dillon, as you mentioned earlier, was able to manage Joe Biden's campaign. And I, in some ways, you know, lucked out that it was, that it was the time of COVID because it meant that everyone everyone was working from home, but you did see her kids in the back of the Mm -hmm. Zoom shots and you got to see her making breakfast for them. And I know her husband, um, Patrick Dillon, very well. And he was the type of spouse who had worked in politics and was extremely supportive. And so it just means that you got to go out and find you know, find a supportive spouse, someone who understands that, but um, it's not the easiest balance in the world. Now, can you explain to um, the Hollywood Life readers what the title means every given Tuesday? Yeah. The love story. Cause you know, if you're not in politics, like what is that? Why'd you choose that? Um, okay. So it comes from a saying about professional football every given Sunday. And I weave my love for professional football throughout my book. You know, it's something that, you know, was the basis of my very close relationship with my father, which I also write about in my book. And the saying any given Sunday means that on any given Sunday, the worst team in the league can walk onto the field and beat the best team. The best team can walk on the field and lose to the worst team. And what defines you as a team isn't your wins or losses. It's whether you can pick yourself up and go to the next Sunday. And that uh, involves an element of belief. 
And so I tried to do a play on words using Tuesday because, you know, elections are in the U.S. are held on Tuesdays for some very bizarre reason. Um, And like professional football, politics does involve an element of belief, because as I write about in my book, you do have these amazing wins. You do have these wins that sort of come out of nowhere and that no one expected, but you also have these really, really heartbreaking losses and losses that can really shake your confidence in the system, shake your confidence in yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know a lot of people who have, you know, walked off the field, left the game, left the profession after a really, really bruising election loss. I know people who left politics after, you know, the Tom Daschle's campaign in 2004, which I write about in my book. I know a lot of people who left after the 2016 election because they could not believe that someone like Donald Trump could win and could beat a woman as qualified as Hillary Clinton. So um, I thought it was just an apt title for my book because I've gone through all the ups and downs of politics and it's always been my element of belief and belief in the importance of what I do that keeps me going. And a political love story is just sort of a, a, a play on words because yes, I love politics, but I do write Um, also about my personal life in the book, because I do want to show people that, you know, that the people who work behind the scenes were not just soulless operatives. And I wanted people to get a sense of that difficult work-life balance and some of the highs and lows of my personal life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're definitely in there. And I guess you would say like, you're still in love with this business. Oh, absolutely. I just, I can't quit it. I can't quit it. And I'm still, even as I'm talking to you, I'm still advising candidates, um, you know, advising some great up and coming stars. And I, I, after I finish this book tour, hopefully I'm going to go on tour, maybe more for more democratic candidates. Okay. Well, those are my next questions. Um, are whether you're working on any any midterm campaigns so right now my entire focus is my book tour but i have been advising a few candidates that i think are really great up-and-comers that people should keep an eye on one of them is tim ryan in ohio he's running Yes, he's running for U.S. Senate. And I write about my work in Ohio in 2010. And Ohio is one of those states that used to be the quintessential swing state. And, you know, no Republican, I think, in history has ever won the White House without winning Ohio. And there's this old saying that the road to the White House goes through Ohio. Well, that's no longer because it has trended so hard Um, toward the Republicans in recent years to the point that, you know, there's only one statewide elected Democrat there anymore, Sherrod Brown, who's an amazing U.S. Senator. Now, Tim Ryan is running to be the other U.S. Senator from Ohio. And he is, um, you know, he's a younger candidate. I think he's 46 years old. And he is running a campaign that could help Democrats expand our majority in the U.S. Senate and he's taking it, the fight to every corner of the state, not just to Democratic areas. And I think he's providing a real playbook for how Democrats can win red states again, how we can expand our majority. Because if we only try to play in blue areas right. and blue states, we will be a minority party and we will c- continue to see an, a rollback of important rights like Um, abortion rights, like marriage equality, like even contraceptive rights, if we do not support um, candidates like Tim Ryan. And his opponent in Ohio is someone who is against abortion in all instances. And 
against all odds, Ryan is winning in all of the polls right now, and he would be an amazing advocate for women across the state of Ohio. And it's one of those races that I hope um, anyone who cares about, uh, you know, holding the Senate or expanding the Senate pays attention to. He's a dear friend of mine, and I can, um, you know, attest to, to anyone listening that he was a massive source of emotional support for me when I was writing this book. And he checks in every week to see how it's going and tells me about the latest chapter that he's read. So he's great. Um, Mallory McMorrow in Michigan is just a complete, complete star. Some of your readers, I don't know if you've written about her, but oh, yes, some of you have. Yeah. Yes. And you've got to get her on the podcast. If, yes. Um, so she is someone who uh, is 35 year old state senator from Michigan, real up and coming star in the de in the Democratic Party, not just in Michigan, but nationally. So I've been helping her bring her message nationally because she's provided a model of how you really fight back against the Republicans culture wars and is one of those, you know, we need more, as I was saying before, we need more young women mm -hmm. in politics, both behind the scenes and as candidates. And she's someone who hadn't been involved in politics until after 20. 16. She literally Googled how to run for office and ran for state Senate in 2018 in a majority Republican district and picked up the seat and now is leading the effort to flip the Michigan State Senate blue. And um, for your readers, states, state Senate, state legislative races have never really gotten a ton of attention from national Democrats and from Democrats in general. But now with the Dobbs decision, the whole fight over abortion rights is going to the states. Yeah. And it is more important than ever that we pay attention to who we elect to governor, who we elect um, to attorney general, and who we elect to local offices, state legislative races, to state senate, to state house, state assembly, because those are the people who will determine whether abortion is legal or not in your states. Um, so those are just a couple of people. I'm also helping out Aftab Pureval, brand new mayor of Cincinnati. He's also under the age of 40, young star. Um, he was the first mayor in the country um, to figure out ways that he, as a mayor, could help women in a red state um, uh, have more access to abortion. So he expanded city health insurance to cover abortion. He made sure that the city will cover any travel costs for city employees that need to travel out of state to get abortions. And it goes to show that a lot of the leadership that we're seeing is not coming from voices in Washington. It's often coming from younger next generation people outside of Washington. Is Mallory running for re-election or is she, she is running for re-election right now? Yes. So she's running for re-election. The good news is that um, so they had independent redistricting there for the first time in the past. The districts had always been gerrymandered by the Republicans. Her district is now much more Democratic. So she's going to she just won her primary and she's going to be safe in November. But um, she is spearheading the effort to flip the Michigan State Senate right. blue. All they have to do is flip three seats and um so she's already raised a million dollars there but that's a good effort because like if republicans win mm -hmm. in michigan um there's a 1931 law on right. the books in the state that essentially outlaws abortion and it is being stayed in court because there is a Democratic governor and there is a Democratic attorney general there. But if it if everything there flips Republican, abortion could be completely outlawed in the right. states. So it goes to show how important it is. Right. Now, you're you're advising these individual candidates. And, yeah, I've been following Tim Ryan and how how well he's doing so far against J.D. Vance, um, which is so encouraging. But. In terms of the Democrats, if you were advising the party, because I feel like the party itself just needs, oh my God, messaging, like they have so much to run on right now. I mean, they just passed the anti-inflation bill. They're standing up. They're trying to stand up for abortion rights. They support abortion. 
Um, they passed chips, they passed infrastructure, like they have a lot, but I mean, I don't know. It must drive you crazy. It drives me crazy. I feel like they don't get out there and brag. They don't, you, people don't know what they've done. So two things. One is that um, I think the landscape has changed significantly in the last three weeks. And I'll get to that one in a second. But before I get there, part of the difficult thing for Democrats and for the Biden administration was, yes, even after they passed this massive investment in infrastructure that's going to create millions of jobs, um, help underserved communities, fix our roads, fix our trains, fix all of that stuff. Yes, they could go out and brag about it more, but it's tough to go out and brag about your achievements while people are feeling so much economic pain. And for a long time, um, people are still feeling the pain of, of the pandemic. People are still feeling the pain, obviously, of inflation. And people are still feeling the pain of gas prices, even though they have been going down for over a month now. So even though you do have these achievements, it's hard to go out and say, hey guys, look at all these great things we've done when people are feeling pain. And this is something that Barack Obama saw in 2010. You know, he had passed all of these, all this important legislation, all this important leg- legislation like Obamacare, reforming Wall Street, all of that. But when he went out to try to talk to voters about it, they didn't care because they were still hurting from the recession. Now, I do think things have changed over the last few weeks because we are seeing one, we saw like that gangbusters jobs report where it was almost unheard of. The jobs created in one month um, were, I think it was 200, over 200 something over jobs, over projection. I don't want to get too yeah, in the weeds. It's like but getting close to 600,000 jobs. Yes, which Jeez. is unheard of. So you have that. Gas prices have been dropping for over a month. Then you have the chips bill, which is going to make a massive um, investment in domestic manufacturing and help us compete more with China. Then you have the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the largest climate investment in history. Um, it will allow Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices, which helps people of all ages. I mean, I'm 39 years old and, you know, I don't go to the doctor a ton, but sometimes I go and I just can't even believe some of the stuff that's not covered by insurance. And and even if it is how high drug prices are, it will also cap, um, healthcare premiums, which is really important because every year when we see, no matter how old you are, you see your healthcare premiums go up and up and up. And so that's really important. Um, And it will help reduce inflation. Then on top of that, you have you know, the fact that we killed um, the the leader of Al-Qaeda in a drone strike. Um, And so, yes, there's a ton of things now for the Biden administration to brag about, and it really helps them combat this sort of um, conventional wisdom that was congealing, that he was weak or ineffective. And what Democrats need to do, to your point, is to go out there now and message the heck out of the choice that voters face between Democrats and Republicans. Because now on issue after issue, there's tangible proof that Democrats are working to relieve people's pain, to provide them economic relief, to make their lives better. And that on issue after issue, Republicans are trying to make people's lives more miserable. They're trying to block Democrats' efforts. And why are they doing that? They are doing that because they know that if they inflict misery on the American people, that the American people will take it out on the party in power, and that's the Democrats, um, and that'll help Republicans in November. So it is a really cynical, dark ploy, and Democrats need to be spending every single day from now now until election day, screaming from the rooftops about that. Okay, just to counter that, the idea that you can't go out and brag. On the other hand, 
Donald Trump bragged no matter what. <laughs> he bragged that he was doing an incredible job on COVID when people are like were dropping dead like crazy. Yeah, but it didn't help him on COVID, you know. But it, he, it, 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 but he didn't lose his base. He got right, more. Right. I mean, he lost the election, but he still got more votes than any other presidential candidate in right. history, aside from Biden. Like he got huge numbers still. And so, and I, I actually agree with you that Democrats do need to do more bragging. And we now have, because of the last couple of weeks, so much more ammo and so much more ability to do that. And even within an hour of the Inflation Reduction Act passing, we did see Democrats going out with sort of a new sense of swagger and willingness to brag about what we're doing. And my understanding is that we are going to see a lot more of that messaging from Biden, his administration, his cabinet officials, the vice president, and Democrats across the country, because we have so much to talk about, especially after the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Well, now you talk about in the book when you went, when you took Pete Buttigieg, who wasn't known and, but, you know, you were incredibly impressed with him. He was, um, you know, so he was successful as the mayor, but he also was so articulate, well, and able to present himself, but you did break a lot of rules. Like Mm -hmm. there had been these rules about you know, you take candidates, they only talk to certain high level outlets. They have to have a mystique about them. And you went and you put them everywhere and you just had them talk to everyone and to all kinds of outlets. You had them talk to like student outlets. Right. And you also did a lot of social media messaging. And, um, but do you, and it was effective because he became known, he became, he was very likable. Now, are there experiences from that, that you learned that you, well, first of all, are applying to helping Tim Ryan, Mallory, but also that can be applied to the party as a whole? Because I don't, still don't feel like they're agile. Like you were agile. Yes. Um. I, yeah, I agree with that. And both political parties have, a lot of work to do in updating their approach to how they deal with the media and how they communicate with the public because the majority of voters don't get their news from the New York times. No, The overwhelming majority of voters do not watch cable news. It is a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of voters that actually watch MSNBC. Yet if you um, were to watch a lot of members of Congress today and how they communicate that's still how they talk to voters they that's the bees knees to them and that's how they think they reach the most people and what is really important to understand is that the media environment is more fractured than ever and people get their news from every day from more and more diverse news sources Mm -hmm. and it is really important for candidates to meet voters where they are and not turn their noses up at um, sports news sites at Mm -hmm. entertainment news sites at gossip news sites at at fashion news sites because if we aren't going and talking to those audiences, then there's a good chance that the readers or listeners will never ever hear from us right and i i make this point about um uh, about fox news right because there's this big debate in the democratic party should democrats go on fox news or not and if we don't go on fox news 
the only time that Fox News viewers will see a Democrat is when their hosts take us out of context and provide a caricature of us. Um, and I think it's even worse, frankly, for people on entertainment sites or um because then maybe you just don't even hear of us about us at all. So we need to stop being such snobs about how we communicate and go everywhere and understand, especially with young voters, um, that the way (laughs) the democratic party is really, really bad. And the Republican party is worse at reaching young voters, but that the way to reach young voters is by talking to people like you going on sites like Hollywood Life, going on sites like whether you like it or not, like Barstool Sports, mm-hmm. um, going on TMZ, uh, going on a variety of these sites. And I tried to make sure that Pete went on as many of these as possible. But my my advice to um, Democrats, Republicans, anyone who wants to take it, it is to reach out to every audience that you can and never think that you're too too good for anyone because if you are too good for someone then why would they turn on vote for you yeah that's true very good point um yeah i can tell you in the 2016 you know we tried and tried and tried to communicate with hillary's team yeah and nobody would even email me back like i tried so many different ways and not even one person would return an email well, you know what? One thing I'm going to do after this, Bonnie, is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to at least help get Mallory McMorrow, but I'm going to work on that. Let's get more Democrats on here. Yeah, absolutely. Because we are trying to get candidates and uh, to, to talk to us. I mean, I want to talk to Val Demings. I want to talk to the woman who's running for governor in Ohio. Nan. Watson. Oh, Nan Whaley. She's great. Yeah, I know really. Nan. I know Nan great, very well. She was an early Pete supporter. And, um, you know, that's an important race that can determine Ooh. the future of abortion rights in that state for millions of women. I know mm-hmm. because, yeah, the governor there is completely anti-abortion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, as was the previous governor. Um, so in speaking of abortion, how big a role do you think that is going to play for the midterms? Because it was um, estimated for sure before the Kansas vote. So that is what, to me, was the turning point in um, in the 2022 conversation, right? Pre the Dobbs decision, and the Dobbs decision is what overturned Roe v. Wade, essentially throwing it back to the states, Um. Before then, Democrats were not particularly energized to vote mm-hmm. um, because, again, they're feeling the pain of inflation. They thought maybe Biden isn't delivering enough. And to your point, maybe Democrats hadn't been doing a good enough job of communicating their successes. But now, if you're a Democrat, it's sort of hard to sit on your hands and say, oh, there's no difference between Democrats and Republicans. Um, This election doesn't really matter. My vote's not going to count. Yeah, your vote really will count. And um, no matter whether you're in a blue state or red state, especially if you're in a red or purple state, your vote really, really, really matters. Um, So I think it helps motivate Democrats. But it really will also help persuade a lot of those suburban voters that we saw go for Joe Biden in 2020, just because they could not stomach voting for Donald Trump. They might have been sort of disaffected Republicans, independents, moderates, um, people who might have otherwise swung back to Republicans in a midterm election. I think that we're going to see a lot of them um, stick with the Democrats in 2022 because the majority of Republican voters do not support abortion bans in all ex- with no exceptions. Mm-hmm. But the majority of Republican candidates that we see for both U.S. Senate and for governor support bans with absolutely no exceptions. Mm-hmm. And you know, 10 years ago, the platforms of these Republican candidates would have been so far outside the mainstream of the Republican Party that the National Republican Party would have shunned them. Now they are the mainstream. And so I think that it's going to turn off a lot of um, these moderate 
independent, disaffected Republicans who otherwise would have swung back. So I think it helps us with those two groups of voters. And we saw that in Kansas recently. And what was really interesting about the Kansas referendum is, is so Kansas has, has in their constitution, um, a constitutional right for women to, to receive an abortion. And there was a referendum to take that out of the constitution. And it was expected to be a very, very close vote, but the proponents of abortion, uh, at the pro-abortion side blew it out one by double digits. And one of the reasons why they did it is if you listen to the ads, a lot of the ads don't even mention abortion. Mm -hmm. They reached out to people who are pro-life, you know, say they're pro-life, but are uncomfortable with government making healthcare decisions for women with government overreach. Because think about it, if you are a small government Republican Could you think of any bigger overreach than having a politician basically say, I'm it, I'm my opinion on your private health care decision is more important than your doctors? No. And so what it says to me is that anyone who is pro-choice and wants to win these arguments has to understand that we need to build a broad coalition and that the coalition that will support abortion rights in the long run is not just the hardcore pro-choicers like me. It is a lot of people who have conflicted feelings about it, and we need to welcome them into this tent as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think needs to be done by candidates who are in red and purple states where the right to abortion is either it's either over already or it's in danger to really bring this home? Like you said, it doesn't it it helped not like to just sort of approach it as if you're losing your freedom. You're losing like the government's reaching into your personal health care. But do you think that they need to also try and get you know, women showcased who had a miscarriage and couldn't get help or had a pregnancy complication and almost died or had to leave the state because these things have got, are going on. Yeah. Yes. Realize the voters that this can affect me and could affect my daughter, even if they have a wanted pregnancy. Exactly. And they did that in Kansas as well. And you really need to have an all of the all of the above approach when we approach this issue Um, to talk about the health implications for women. And, you know, in Ohio, it's not exactly a state you think of as hugely socially liberal. I mean, nor no one would say that about Kansas either, but you do see Tim Ryan going on the offensive on this issue because his opponent has said that if a teenager is raped, mm-hmm. that she should be forced to carry the uh, fetus to term. And so Tim is communicating about that, but he's also making, and he's communicating about that. He's communicating about, um, the uh, 10 year old who uh, was impregnated through rape and had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion. And so he's highlighting those sorts of cases, but he also is making the case to people who identify as pro-life, but are uncomfortable with government overreach and saying that government should not be a part of these decisions. And I've sat in a lot of focus groups, I've seen a lot of polling and the number one issue that moves voters on this, the number one messaging that moves voters on this is that they don't want politicians making private healthcare decisions right. for women. And um, so we always need to center the conversation around that. And then from there we go to, okay, um, the anti-choice Republicans want to force women who have been the victims of rape and incest to give birth or force women even if their life is at stake to give birth. And then the third most effective argument is that uh, anti-choice Republicans want to criminalize women and doctors. Right. Yeah, it's it's really quite, quite terrifying. If, yeah. I think it's quite terrifying if women really realize this can personally affect them. Right, because, and, and, it's not just going to happen to some other women over there that they don't identify with, don't care about. 
And it doesn't just happen to pro-choice women. Mm-hmm, right. You know, women who are, who can think that they're hardcore pro-life, they can have the same pregnancy complications that a pro-choice yes. woman can. Their daughters can have the same pro-choice complications. And and I believe in Kansas that some of the messengers were um, women who considered themselves, you know, hardcore pro-lifers or anti-torcers, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I'm a big believer in not getting hung up on the language here because this fight is so big. But is that these complications can happen to anyone. And um, so let's take this out of the political arena and leave this decision to women and the healthcare professionals who know what they're doing. Right. Um, Something you talked about in your book, which I think, you know, any reader is gonna find fascinating because like you are talking about how the sausage gets made is you talked about opposition research. Yeah. And, you know, finding out like uh, bad stuff, basically, about your opponents and things that you needed to bring to light so the reader, the voters were aware. But what do you do today when one party, like, doesn't care about any of those bad things? Like the things that used to wreck a politician's career, a sex scandal, (laughs) cheating on their wife scandal, um, being a racist, and associating with racists, uh, uh, being indicted or convicted of a crime, um, uh, being an insurrectionist, like kind of even domestic abuse allegation. Pardon? Domestic domestic abuse allegations. Uh, domestic abuse. But it's like none of these things are a problem for candidates in one party. I mean, you saw Eric Reitens almost got the nomination. Right. And, and right. you have like about three of these strikes against him. Yes. Definitely like, a and- scandal, domestic abuse, an indictment. <laughs> right. And resigned. And he had just, it had just come out that his um, ex-wife had accused him of not only abusing her, but abusing their children. He's the only one I actually saw pay a price for it. He, oh, he did Literally, come close. Almost got elected. I yep. know, I know, and I worked in Missouri too, so I'm very, very familiar with Eric Greitens. Um, so, what it, what it shows you is is it gonna gonna is have an impact? Research work, yeah. <laughs> so it does work, but maybe not in a Republican primary. Um, and we'll see in November um, how it plays out. Uh, especially, I think the states to look at would be. Ohio, um, Arizona, and the Georgia Senate races. Georgia, especially because Herschel Walker is someone who has been accused of domestic violence and lying about his resume. And um, he himself has talked about how he once almost killed someone. And so that will be a good test of it. But you're completely right that... In the Republican Party today, um, being an insurrectionist is a positive. Yeah. You know that used to, that used to be disqualifying. Um, being basically a traitor, exactly. And and the threat of being under indictment by the Biden DOJ is something that Republicans brag about now. Mm-hmm. And in the past, would have been something that would have caused someone to drop out of a race. So. Right. It is crazy. It is a different world. But my belief is that it still matters for Democrats and it still matters for the swing voters and the voters in the middle. And those are ultimately the people who will determine the fate of the 2022 midterms, because those are the people who turned against Donald Trump because they couldn't deal with all the baggage. They couldn't deal with, um, you know, how crazy he had gotten, especially during the pandemic and all the crazy things he was saying. And that was pre-January 6th. And the, you know, the even more rightward turn that the Republican Party has taken since Trump left office is going to come back to bite them in November, I think. I sure hope so. Like, we're basically counting on it because... I mean, do you feel that democracy is on the ballot for the midterms? Like, especially you mentioned Arizona, every one of their nominees is an election denier and they all want to overturn the past election. 
Yeah. And I'm really concerned. Arizona's going to be really tough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I would also look at Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. If all of the gubernatorial nominees there are people who, um, are election deniers and it's not just about January 6th and the way that Democrats can most effectively communicate about this is not by just like looking backward, right? That's what Trump does. All he wants to do is talk about 2020. And that's what's turning off some Republicans because they want to talk more about the future. And what I've found with Democrats is more effective is if we say, if you elect this person governor, you will never have free and fair elections in your state again. If you elect Doug Mastriano, governor of Pennsylvania, right. he will not allow a Democrat, even if they win the, the vote in Pennsylvania in 2024, to get you know the electors that they need to, to win the election. So we need to make it about the future. And the fact that if they cast a vote for um, a Republican in 2022 or sit on their hands, then their vote in 2024 won't matter one bit. Right. No, it's so true. And do you feel that, um, you know, again, you're going to be involved in more campaigns. Is this um, something, a message that your candidates are going to work on? And yes. do you feel that enough candidates are give, are like giving out that message? Yeah, I do. Um, and it, it, it sometimes might be hard to see, for instance, you know, I live in New York. And so I read the New York Post every morning. I watch the New York news. I've been traveling a lot around the country. I I happen to follow national politics and, and read what's going on in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia. And so I do see that these candidates are messaging it on a local level, which is what they need to be doing. And I really, really think it's going to continue to ramp up more and more and more. As you and I both know- um, You mean local democratic politicians are, yes. are messaging this? Oh, oh yeah, oh okay. yeah. In, in, in Michigan, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, they are messaging the heck out of this. Um, in Pennsylvania, they're screaming to the rooftops about it. So we might not necessarily see it on the national news, but- put that aside, it, it doesn't really matter if I'm seeing it in New York, as long as voters in Pennsylvania are seeing it, but we probably will see it ramp up more as we hit the traditional start of the election season, which is Labor Day. That's what we say in politics is when voters really tune in, um, especially in midterms where it's harder to get voters' attention, but mm -hmm. I expect that to dominate pretty heavily. Okay. Well, that's good news because uh, I don't feel from, you know, just talking to people, women, my kids and their friends that they don't get it. They're not getting it yet. Well, where do they live? That's a, that's a good yeah, question. Live, you know, I mean, they're living around New York. Yeah. Yeah. So, and everyone's busy, right? Everyone has, has busy lives. And that's one of the hardest things about politics and why it's important for people to speak on all sorts of different outlets, because not everyone is going to tune into Politico. Not everyone is oh, going to tune not in at all. Exactly. Know what that is. Exactly. And so that's why it's important for people to, you know, speak to audiences like, like yours, because otherwise they won't hear these messages and hopefully more Democrats learn from what I helped do for Pete Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. Now, will we, do you think that we will one day and if we keep democracy, will one day we see a President Buttigieg? Um, you know, he has said that he doesn't know if he'll run for office again. Um, mm -hmm. And I have no I have no inside intel to share. Um, I will share that I do hope he one day runs for president again. I think he is a once in a generation talent. He is such an amazing communicator and 
he's by far the Democrats most skilled TV communicator. There is no one who can navigate a Fox News interview like that guy. And that's really who we're going to need in the future. Someone who can puncture that right wing bubble and deliver some hard truths to the Republicans. Um, Because contrary to popular belief, the audience that watches Fox is not 100% like MAGA truthers, election deniers. There are a lot of swing voters who watch Fox, you know, some Democrats, and we are not going to be able to win over these people and puncture the right wing bubble unless we have messengers who can go on there. And Pete's one of them. Tim Ryan is very smart. He is on Fox every week. Joe Joe Manchin, you know, who now sort of saved us with the um, reconciliation. He has been selling the heck out of this bill on Fox News with the biggest smile on his face. And man, I am so glad to have Joe Manchin on our side when I see him going on and making the patriotic case for why um, Republicans should be with Democrats on this bill. So it is really important. And I think, um, you know, Pete's a great communicator, great talent, someone who's really, really decent, serious, service oriented. So of course, I would love to see him run. I just don't know what the future holds for him. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't want to run for political office when he's had such success so far. Well, he's just got to, one thing he's always said to me, and I think he said this publicly, is that he's found that success only comes from if you are 100% focused on what's immediately in front of you. And that the second you take your eye off the ball, the second you start positioning for something else, that you stop doing the stuff you're doing right now well. And that voters can smell it and voters can see it. And they're less likely to support you um, if you do that. Cause you know, you and I know the second, you can always tell the second a politician starts getting too big for their britches and starts positioning for some other office. And there's something a little unseemly about it. And Pete's got a really big job right now of yeah. selling these infrastructure projects that are gonna make a different one, create millions of jobs take him to every single corner of this country. But um, it's really important for the Biden administration for him to sell this because it's important for Biden's popularity that people know that he is um, uh, investing so much in their communities. Right. No, there's so much to do. He's got a huge job. Um, In terms of your, like you've got campaigns you're going to work on, like is there... What do you want to see happen with your career? Um, you know, it, for me, it was a very difficult year. And I talk about it. My I, my dad passed away in September. I finished this book. I had, to, I had to take some time off. And then I finished this book only a few months ago. Did, was I making the final edits? So I really haven't had a ton of time to think about what's next. I do want to help Democrats with the midterms and stay involved in politics in um, in some way. I, I'm not quite sure what that means and what that looks like. But First, I want to take a vacation, <laughs> and um, but I think you will see me continue to be involved in democratic politics in one way or another. I'd like to write, write more, and I would, I think I'll probably get involved in the media in one way or another. I just haven't decided what what that's going to look like yet. But I'm going to keep my feet in politics and the media. So you're not sure <laughs> want to remain an advisor or a campaign manager but um want to lead a presidential campaign or would you like to go in-house into the white house for example probably probably not i don't really see that in my future i like advising campaigns and i love finding these new and up-and-coming stars across the country sort of like what i did with pete and you know what the work I'm doing with Mallory McMorrow right now, because the Democratic Party has always been the party of the future. We don't necessarily look like it right now. Um, and there's nothing about nothing wrong with having seasoned leadership, but it wouldn't hurt us to have 
to lift up some of these young, electrifying new leaders across the country who aren't yet household names, the people like Mallory McMorrow. And um, it gives me a lot of joy to do that. And I don't always need to be on a presidential race. Um, you know, sometimes it gives me a lot more joy to be doing that sort of stuff, you know, sort of being like a talent scout or something like that. But the honest answer is I really haven't decided what's next. Um, it has been a grueling year for me, grueling year for my family. And um, I'm just so excited that this book has resonated with so many people and never in my wildest dreams did I ever think, you know, when I was an 18 year old girl, right. um, mentoring your daughter in, in the violin, <laughs> that I was one day going to be interviewing with you talking about my New York Times bestselling memoir. So here we are. So yeah. I, I try not to plan too far in advance because I never would have dreamed that this could have happened. Right. <laughs> that's well, that's very true. You never know what life's going to bring you. But on the other hand, you have jumped on opportunities that came your yeah. way which mm -hmm. not everybody does. Yeah. And I think also women are very, are even more afraid than men to jump on opportunities mm -hmm. that come their way and that kind of take them out of their comfort zone. And, and that's one thing that I, I would encourage, you know, all the people who, who read your site, who listen to you is to be willing to take risks, to, you know, jump off that bridge sometimes they won't play sometimes they won't work out sometimes the risk won't pay off but man when it does you know think about pete's presidential campaign i'm not going to mention who but i was approached by a few more high profile people um in the run-up to 2020 about working for them and when I told them that, no, I wasn't interested in working for them, I was actually going to go work for this young mayor of a town of 100,000 people who also happened to be openly gay. The first question was, who? And mm -hmm. their second question was, are you crazy? Um, one of my good friends laughed and asked me, did you lose a bet or something? Uh -huh. And so I could have gone and maybe been number two, number three, number four person on a more high profile presidential campaign. But instead I went with my gut and I took a risk and I just had this feeling that, that Pete could break through and he could be like a candidate who completely beat the mold and beat what all the pundits said. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life. And um, it was something that changed the trajectory of my professional career. I mean, that's why I got a book deal. Um, but it also, you know, I write about in my book how after 2016, I was frankly, one of those people that was disillusioned by politics. It was horrifying to see someone like Donald Trump elected, someone who was such an open misogynist and yeah. held all these abhorrent views that I thought, okay, maybe, maybe it's time to get out of this business. And Pete really did help redeem my faith in politics, why it mattered and why it was so important. So um, taking risks matters. And uh, I know that women do tend to be more risk averse, but hopefully I'm proof positive that, yeah, they might not all work out, but when they do pay off, man, it's really, really, really worth it. And sometimes it's hard to forgo the things that seem really easy to do things that seem really hard and really unglamorous, mm -hmm. but it's really worth it. Right. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And listen, and you also, I mean, the other, just sort of the last question, because I think this will help our readers is that you had, you know, really like scary um, 
crises happen to you. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and you, that affected your work because you got fired off the de Blasio campaign right. after your relationship with Elliot Spitzer became public. You wrote about that in the book. Right. You didn't shy away from writing right. about it, but like you had downs as well as ups. And I also think that women are afraid of those downs. Like what if they get fired? They're terrified of getting fired. They're terrifying of their personal life becoming public, you know, those kinds of things too. And you, you managed, you went through it. You were honest in the book about how hard it was, but you got yourself together and you picked up and, and, you know, got back up. Right. And, and I, I wanted to write about that, not just to show people sort of the downside of it. I mean, it was horrible. Um, you know, I was dating Elliot Spitzer, who was controversial and had to resign from being governor of New York while I was working for Mayor Bill de Blasio, incoming mayor, and I was his chief spokeswoman. And when my relationship became public with Elliot, um, Bill de Blasio fired me for Mm -hmm. no reason except my relationship. And I don't know if you could get away with that sort of stuff today. Two, Two years after he fired me for that, he fired another woman because of her personal relationship with someone that I guess Bill de Blasio deemed unacceptable. And so it's a hard lesson that, you know, women can be held to different standards and that there still is sexism in these industries, but I didn't just, you know, sit at home and cry about it. I didn't leave the business as a lot of people predicted. Right. I, yeah, I did do a little crying. <laughs> I did do some therapy. Um, I did have a little anxiety, but it just led me to redouble my efforts because I realized it was unfair. I realized that the way I was treated was not the way that um, a lot of men would have been treated in in the same instance, but that if I wanted to fix this, if I wanted to be an example for me, for hopefully my children one day, for other women, I needed to show that I wasn't going to let these things define me. I wasn't going to let my personal relationships define me. I wasn't going to let getting fired by a misogynistic mayor define me, that I could pick myself up and go and be one of the few women at the top of a male-dominated industry. And guess what? I went out and yeah. I did it. And I hope it's it, it sends a message to you know, the women listening that persistence pays off and persistence, even through really tough times pays off. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think that's a super important message. 